0: Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. We have been, over the past few weeks, on a journey studying this one, Prophecy of the Prophet Isaiah, where he gives us four titles for the coming one, the child, the son. And each week, as I've been working through this and, and studying it and getting to teach it, I'm finding that it's just making my mind just so much more aware of the wonder of Christmas. I don't know if that's been for you. If you've been a believer for a long time and you've Heard Isaiah 9-6 taught a billion times. My prayer for you is that it has recaptured your heart. And if this is your first time, like maybe for me, this is my first time of going through those uh, passages very slowly. It's really ministered to me. Every one of these titles, as I shared last week, uh, it's four titles of two words each. But each of these words are nouns. In other words, every one of these words have a tremendous meaning and weight to them. And when we study them, we understand more about who God is. Also, we understand more about who this one, this child, this Messiah, which we believe to be Jesus. We understand more of why he came, why it is so important and so powerful that we take time to celebrate his very coming. And that's what we do at Christmas. Today, we're going to look at this title, Mighty God. With every title, I am sure that the listeners, the people of Israel, who were going through a very difficult time in their season. They were being oppressed by uh, another uh, empire. The empire of the Assyrians was coming down towards Jerusalem. And also they were left behind by the Egyptian rulers. So they were stuck between these two empires on their own and really at threat of being completely wiped out. So every one of these titles would have been deeply encouraging to them, of course, they wanted a wonderful counselor. Of course, they wanted an everlasting father, as we studied a few weeks ago. Today, we look at this word, mighty God. And I'm thinking for them would have been like, yes, that's exactly what we need. Bring it on, God. Bring it on. We need it. And I wonder for you today, do you need that? Are you here this morning going, yeah, I need that. I need a mighty God. My situation, my circumstances are so difficult. Yes, I see people raising their hands. My circumstances are such I need a mighty God. And so it's my desire as we look at this word that you would experience his presence today and you would be reminded that he is indeed present even in the midst of your circumstances. Isaiah tells us this is going to be a child, a son, and he uses this term mighty God. And maybe in English we might not capture the fact that the term in Hebrew is El Gabor. El God, Gabor, mighty. Mighty God. You know, these two words together are only used in the Hebrew scriptures three times. Only three times. If you search on, on the Bible in the Hebrew language, you will know that twice it would, it was used by Isaiah himself. One in the passage we're studying and one in the very next chapter. Chapter 10 of Isaiah, where he tells us that there will be a remnant of Israel returning to the mighty God. The only other place you see this term, El Gabor, is by the prophet Jeremiah. There, the prophet Jeremiah actually equates this title, El Gabor, mighty God, to the almighty God that the people of Israel worshipped. The one God who saved them from the slavery of Egypt, who brought them out of that land, who took them them through the wilderness, cared for them there, and then bought for them as they entered into the promised land. So they would have heard this and immediately would have maybe remembered, recalled these words. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah wrote. Ah, sovereign Lord. I, I don't have it on the screens. I'm going to read it over you. You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power an outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. Great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord Almighty, great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. Every time you read in scripture, by the way, if you want to jot this down on your outline, that was Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17 and 19. But every time you see the word L-O-R-D in caps, That refers to the proper name of the God of the Israelites. God revealed his name to Moses when Moses says, who shall I say is sending me? And God says this, and it's four letters uh, called the tetagrammaton. And these words are often difficult to uh, pronounce. In fact, the people of Israel didn't even say the word because it was so reverent for them. But we pronounce it Yahweh, not that it's less reverence. But that is an actual proper name. And Isaiah is saying, that one, the Lord Almighty, is the mighty God. So the people of Israel would have heard this, and that was the first inkling, and it is for you and for me, that there's something incredibly unique about this child. This child is being equated with the might of the Almighty God. That should have gotten their attention, and it should get ours. I want us to look at each word separately So you can see, we can expand this. The word for mighty is gabor. And that word you'll find in Hebrew in the Bibles all the time. And you'll hear the word mighty. And that word, while yes, it means mighty, a better expanded meaning of it, because Hebrew is much more uh, picturesque than our English language, is mighty man, valiant, strong, a champion, a hero. This child this son, this one that would come one day, would be the champion, the actual winner, the hero, the one that would come and save the day. Mighty and awesome he would be. In fact, God tells the people of uh, Israel, right after, he gives them the commands. Moses uh, brings down from the mountain the commands, the Ten Commandments, and they, he finds that they're already worshiping other gods. And he goes back up to the mountain, and he pleads to God for his people. And God gives them the commands again. But these are the words that God says to Moses. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, For the Lord your God is God of gods, and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. This would be like no other. When it's saying this is a mighty God, this will be the God who is like no other. It is greater than any other God. And, you know, that would have sort of perked the interest of the people because here we see that this one is being directly related to the creator of the universe. The oldest book of the Bible, the book of Job, tells us about a man who suffered greatly. He lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his uh, wealth. He lost his friends. He only had a few friends left. He lost his health. And when he's crying out to God, 37 chapters of him crying out to God, why has this happened? Why has this happened? Trying to understand how does God respond to him, but to remind him that he is a mighty God. And how does he do that? He reminds Job that he is the creator, the very one that gives Job life, the very one that gives him breath, the very one that even gives him the ability to cry out to God. He says to Job, Where were you when I established the earth? Have you ever in your life commanded the morning or assigned the dawn in its place? Remember, Job, I am the mighty God. I am the creator. Your problems, as difficult as they are, they are so simple for me to fix because I have created all things, including you. Job, I am with you. I have not left you. That great I am. A little bit later in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, he describes the God mighty one this way. He says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. It is remarkable that Isaiah is telling us that this one to come would be mighty as God is mighty. The one who could do such things, the one who created everything, the one who could give strength to the weary, that is the one that he brings. How many of us say, yes, bring it. That's exactly what I need, right? That's what we need. And I think the Israelites were the same way. Woo-hoo, yes, he's going to be mighty. I love it. But he came in a different way than they expected. He starts by saying to them, A child, a child, you know, a little baby, needy, dependent, desperate for life, unable to care for him or herself, right? This child, this son came in a very vulnerable way. The might of God, the power of God, the champion of God came in a humble, humble way. The writer of Philippians tells us this. He, Jesus, who being in very nature, is there any doubt here that there is direct correlation between this child, Jesus, and God, very nature, God, did not consider equality, so much for those people who say, Jesus never claimed to be God. Watch how Paul, in his own writing, is making this claim. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather, he made himself nothing, nothing, by making himself, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Isn't it remarkable? When you consider yourself, when I consider myself, I know my limitations. As much as I would love to have control over everything, anybody with me wants to be like totally in control of everything? Okay, the church is a great place to confess. Well done for those of you who raise your hands, because that's, I mean, we do, right? We want to believe that we can conquer anything. We want to believe that we have all the power. And the reality is we know we don't. At some point in our journey in our life, we get to that place where our rope has ended and we we are desperate for something stronger than us because we don't have the strength. And we know our brokenness, right? We know that we are broken people. Now, to think that our creator, the one who gave us life, chose to come and be like you and I, to take on the, the limitations of our body. You know, when Jesus came, he came and he could only be in one place at one time. The almighty creator could be in all places at all times. Jesus chose to take on our limitation, to have our feelings, to experience life the way we do, to suffer, to sleep out. He was poor. He didn't even have the wealth that he came from. He came and he chose to not even have a home to live in. He chose that. He chose to be close to us by being humble. His might is so powerful that it is powerful even in his weakest place. That is the God that comes. And he came 100% God. He was there at the beginning when we were created. And he came 100% human, born like you and I were born. Jesus was born a man, he lived a man, he died a man, and even he was resurrected a man. Yes, he had a glorified body, but even today, he sits at the right hand of the Father in human form. He forever gave his throne and gave up himself to be with us and to be like us. That is the might of God to do something like that. You know why people reject it? Because it does blow our mind when you think about it it seems to us, why would God do that? Why would God do that? Because he is our champion. He came to save us. And how silly it is for us often that we live a life of defeat, that we forget that he came to save us, that he is our mighty champion. And he gave us freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from death. Those who trust in him can have life and life to the fullest. Do you remember earlier this year in July, The young men uh, that were with their coach in Thailand who went exploring in caves under a mountain and got lost, for days they were stuck inside the mountain, desperate for getting out because it started raining and the entry that they came in became flooded. They went deeper into the mountain trying to find a way to be rescued. And unfortunately, they actually walked themselves into a worse place. Isn't that just like us, right? trying to make ourselves into a better place, we end up making things worse. They made things worse. It took several weeks, three weeks, to rescue these boys from that mountain. And what it took was that some Navy SEALs actually swam all the way into the mountain to where they were, where they had no water, no food, no light. They were in pitch darkness the whole time for all those days, and they were able to rescue them. One Navy SEAL died in the process. Now, today, these boys are going around the world, and they're sharing their story. There's hints that maybe a movie will be made of their story, and they're walking around realizing that their salvation, their freedom came at a huge cost. Now, wouldn't it be silly if they went on living life as though they were still stuck in the cave? Wouldn't it be silly if they forgot that their freedom came at a cost, that someone gave up their lives so they could be free? But you know, don't we do the same? Don't we sometimes forget that we have a mighty one, a champion, a hero, a savior, who took us out of our cave and brought us to life, that we might live victoriously, so that when things hit us, because listen, life does hit us, when we have that side swipe all of a sudden, when we feel a sense of hopelessness, that we might remember we are victorious even if the circumstances right now don't appear to be. The whole reason for Advent is to remember that we are a people of waiting. Not only were the Israelites waiting for this one to come, and we celebrate that he did come, that's us, but we are still waiting for his return when all things will be made right. While, yes, today we struggle, one day there will be no more tears, one day there will be no more pain, No more evil, no more darkness, because he will finally come and rule. But until then, we hold in this tension. We do have a mighty one with us, and we can live a life of victory, not a life of defeat. Amen? Yes, well said. Now, the second title is God. It's, again, this word El. It's just a typical term in Scripture in the Hebrew language for any kind of God. In fact, if you, if you could read Hebrew, you looked at the Hebrew Bible, you would see El mentioned many times. We just read it in Deuteronomy chapter 10 when God said, I am the God of gods. And what he was saying is in the land, there were all kinds of people believing in other gods, some gods that were completely made up, some perhaps powered by a demonic, uh, from the demonic realm. Either either way, whether they were worshiping a piece of wood or a piece of metal or some fake God, God said, yes, there's those gods out there, but there's only one God, capital G God. You'll see that in the scripture. One God, one almighty who is mighty and powerful. And for the Israelites hearing this, that word saying that this mighty one who is just like the creator of the universe would also be a God, that probably would have been like, huh? Now, wait a minute. We're the people of Israel. We've been told by God. One of the first commandments is, right, have no other gods but me. There is one who is coming. This child isn't going to be a mere human, won't be as wise. It might be a good human, maybe wise uh, like Solomon, maybe powerful and mighty like David. But wait, a God? Did Jesus say he was a God? Is Jesus God-like? Oh, yes, he is. So often people claim that he's not, but scripture bids otherwise. Time and time again, the gospel writers, Paul, even the writer of the Hebrews, is talking about the nature of Jesus. Let me just read you a few. Colossians chapter 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God. For in him all things were created, created through him and For him and in him, all things hold together. For God was pleased to have, you read this with me, all the fullness dwell in him. Let's do that again. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell on him. The fullness of God, the mighty nature of God, the power of God completely dwelling in the person of Jesus Christ. Equal to God, as Paul says, as God. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 1, it says the very radiance of God's glory was in him. He was the exact representation of his being. He is the one that sustains all of creation. You know, have you ever watched the show uh, Nova? There's a wonderful Nova show called Black Matter. And in this show, they, they tell us how the universe has a certain number of matter that I, but it's actually very small. The majority of what is in the universe is this thing called black matter. They say it's called black matter because they don't know what it is, but they say this, that black matter holds all matter together. What is scripture telling us? Jesus holds all all things together. Jesus holds our universe together such that you and I are sitting in these chairs and gravity isn't taking us up. And we're not floating on the top of this chapel, though that might be interesting. Jesus holds everything together so that in our bodies, every single part of our bodies, which are highly complex, still function. Have you watched? There's a video online. I would highly recommend it. It starts with a woman laying down on the ground And it looks at her eye, and then the camera pans away from her. And all of a sudden, you see where she is. She's in a park. And then you see the town. And then you see the earth. And then you see the moon and the stars and the planets and all the the galaxy. You see the other galaxies. And then the camera comes right back down to earth into her eye. And through with um, some graphic design, they show the makings of the eye, the detail of how our bodies are created. And the wonder that our bodies are. You are held together. You woke up this morning. You got out of bed this morning. You are breathing today by the power of Jesus Christ. You are being held together. If it were not for the power of Jesus Christ, you would not be here today. He is the one that keeps us. And I know you might be saying, wait, I look at myself in the mirror, and I think I'm falling apart a little. But you're not because you're here. He holds us together. He holds the whole universe together. In John chapter 1, it says, No one, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God. Look, John's writing these words. Don't take it from me. Who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father. He is the one who has made the Almighty known. This one, this child, this Son makes the creator of the universe known to you, to me. In the prophet Daniel, there's a dream that he has. Daniel chapter 7, Daniel tells us about this this vision that he has, and he sees this son of man raised up to have equality with God. It says this, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. You see, Jesus knew this is who he was. He said these words in Matthew 28. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He understood who he was. Do you understand who he is? Do you understand the claim that he made? Do you realize that by him making this claim, he lost his life. It's what God, Jesus, killed, that very statement. He was before some religious leaders, and when he made these claims, they said to him, he simply said this, I and the Father are one. And they said to him, we're not stoning you. They wanted to stone him for any good thing that you've done, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They understood what Jesus was doing. They understood what he was claiming. Caiaphas, when Jesus was arrested, said to Jesus, tell us, are you the Messiah? Say it. And Jesus, rather than saying it, he says, you've said so. And not only so, but you're going to demonstrate that I am. Because all of the prophecies about me are about to come true when you choose to send me to the cross. This very moment, that prophecy of Daniel is going to come true. In fact, Jesus Quotes from Daniel and reminds us and Caiaphas, I am the one that Scripture spoke about me hundreds and hundreds of years before. He is the mighty God, who chose to take on the form as us as humans. But not only that, in made in that appearance, he humbled himself by submitting himself by being obedient to death for you and for me. It means our mighty, mighty God in Jesus Christ. He died for us that we might live a life of victory, not of defeat. You see, Jesus is the only one who was there with the creator, that in him and through him and for him, the oceans were created. The boundary of the ocean was created. The waters were created. He was the only one who walked on that water. Jesus was the only one who was there when God conceptualized trees and forests, every type of tree. But he was the only one who allowed himself to be placed on the tree for the death, and for our death that we should deserve, but for to give us life as he deserved. He allowed himself to be placed on that tree and to die for us. Jesus is the only one who was there when God created every kind of metal, when he created iron and he allowed himself to be placed on that cross with the very nails of the things that he watched as it was being created. Jesus is the only one who was there when God said, let us make man and woman in our own image. And he is the one who chose to come down like us and give himself, give his life for you and for me. That's who he is. The mighty God who gives his life for you and for me that we might endure, that we might live life and understand you are not living a life of defeat. If you put your trust in Jesus, you are living a life of victory, victory already won. Now I know, I know that sometimes life can be hard. And the, the picture that came to me as I was preparing was when my daughter Melissa was about eight or nine years old. She started to tell me how much she loved riding horses and she wanted to ride horses. Now, she did the little donkeys, you know, when you take them in a little donkey, but she'd never really ridden a horse. And I was telling my friend Tony about it, and Tony had a horse in Anaheim at a stable. And he goes, bring her. Let's give her a ride on the horse. So I I drive over there. I take Kaylee and Melissa with me, and they both get out of the car on both sides of the car. And the second they do, they both talk at the same time. Kaylee says, ugh, what is that smell? And I was right there with her. Melissa goes, smell the horses. I knew I was in trouble right then and there. So I met Tony. He puts Melissa on his horse, and he rides her around the circle, going around and around. And she is beaming. She is so happy. She's like, I found my purpose. This is where I'm going to live. This is awesome. And she is just so happy. And all of a sudden, there's a loud sound, and the horse, you know, does a jump, and she flies right off the horse onto the ground. And of course, as a mom, I'm like, oh, I'm ready to, to rescue her. And Tony's like, no, no. So he picks her up, he dusts her off, takes all the, fixes her hair, and puts, he says, honey, we have to get back on the horse. And so she, he lifts her with tenderness and puts her back on the horse, wipes her little tears, and starts riding again. You see, I get it. Life can be and feel often like we've been just kicked off a horse. Isn't that true? Do I hear an amen to that? Life can do that to us. But we have a mighty God who came close, Emmanuel, God with us, a mighty one, that he might walk with us even in those times of struggle when we feel we've been kicked in the teeth. You know, I, I felt that this week. Starting last Sunday, I don't know, I just felt like, you know, if this happened to you where the enemy just starts saying lies and discouraging. And I'm, I'm a people pleaser. I, I do. I care about what people think. And, and I got caught up in that. And God was working on my heart, going, wait a second. Who are you trying to please, man or me, you know? But while I was trying to sort this out, I was having a total pity party. And just, I mean, it was a mess. I call a friend of mine. And she was so awesome. She starts praying over me. And then she goes, Inez, you need to repeat after me. Sometimes you've got to tell the enemy to shut up. He goes, so say after me, enemy, shut up. Now, usually I would never let my kids use that word at home. But man, she she made me say it. Sometimes we have to just remember we live in victory. How many of you need to tell the enemy, shut up? You want to say it right now? Enemy, shut up. Your lies don't count here. I live victoriously through Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples, knowing that he was about to go to the cross, knowing that they would think this was the final defeat, he says to them, do not be troubled. I have overcome the world. He says, take heart. You will have struggles. But don't lose sight of the fact that I have overcome. I have already overcome. That victory is already won. And we live day by day walking with our mighty God who is with us every step of the way. I want to finish with the words of Isaiah. where we are reminded of this mighty God. It says, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary they will walk and not be faint. though we might struggle. When we put our hope in this mighty God, we will soar like on wings of eagles. How many of you want that? I do. I do. I do even when the day doesn't feel right. You know, when things don't feel right, I want to still remember my hope is in the Lord. And while I might be crying, I am still living in the victory that he pays for me. Like those kids out of the cave, which was costly. I want to live as though I'm out of the cave. I don't want the same for you. Now, I want to, as we respond to what God has said to us, I want to read to you from Isaiah 53. Because this was written over 500 years before Jesus was born. See, one of the things we do here at the chapel is we respond to what we heard. We actually, the service isn't over. It's plenty early. Don't feel like you have to leave. Because this is actually an invitation for you to make this room yours. Where you get command of the space. You get to walk around it and just have a dialogue with God. And we go to the cross where we confess our sins. We say, God, here's some things that I'm battling with. You mighty God, battle these for me. And we know that Jesus says there no longer is there condemnation for those who are Trusting in him. We don't have to live in shame. We can't live in victory. We light candles of hope. Remembering that he is the light of the world who came for us. We give back from what he's given us. We have offering boxes along the back. Our elder t- a couple is right up front. Our prayer team is around the room. We pray. We pray with one another. As an- another form of dialoguing with the, God- with the Lord as we respond to what he said to us. And we take communion every Sunday. Every Sunday, we remember the mighty God, the child, the son that came, gave it all for us, bought our freedom with his very life. And Isaiah captures all that he did in that day so beautifully. So would you stand and let me read this over you. And then please feel free after I finish to respond, go to any station in any order. You can go to all of them if you want. But stay in the room. We're going to worship together and thank God for what he's done. Here are Isaiah's words. Who has believed your message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised. that brought us to peace, was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again.